Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blue Moon. You saw me standing alone. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And this week we have a very special guest. Uh, on the show this week we have got the great, the wonderful, the legend that is Alex Williams MBE. Alex, welcome to the Man City Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Really great to have you on, Alex. I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive straight in because I'm sure everybody listening to this show will know your story, but we can dive a little bit deeper into that as we uh, talk through your amazing career as a player and probably more importantly as the last 33 years with uh, football in the community, city in the community, which has been just the most amazing thing. Can I just start? Um, obviously, you're a Moss Side lad born and bred sort of uh, in the shadows of Main Road. Um, yeah. You were a City fan as a boy. Who were your kind of heroes sort of growing up as a lad then before you sort of got onto City's books? Yeah, when I was about 14 at school, I had some friends I knocked around with. And in those days, you could go to Main Road one week and United the next. Uh, they were United fans. But I always had an allegiance towards Manchester City. Um, so it just started from there, really. I was... Uh, Really lucky that I went on to get the opportunity to play for the club I supported as a lad because not many professional footballers uh, get a chance to do that. And, and who first spotted you? Where were you first spotted then by City? Which which scout came along and saw you? who you were playing for at the time? Um, well, the youth team coach at the time when I was just about to leave school was a lad called Steve Fleet, who was a former Manchester City goalkeeper. and He spent most of his time understudies as a great Bert Troutman. And uh, he was watching a Manchester boys game one day uh, and one of our school representatives, a lad called Bert Jackson, was there and they had a conversation and uh, Steve was saying, City, you're looking for a keeper. Does uh, Bert know anyone? And he said, well, our lad's not bad. And that lad in question was myself. So initially I was asked to go in uh, two nights a week at Main Road. We used to train on the car park uh, just behind the uh, uh, the stand at uh, Main Road and... Uh, when I got to 16, they took a chance and signed me as an apprentice. 
And what was that like for you then as a, a lad from offside, a City fan? Um, there you were suddenly signing for you, the, the, the team you supported. That must have been a thrill. That must have been amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a dream come true. Um, we had a little vote on the last day of school who'd got the best job and all my uh, schoolmates voted I'd got the best job. <laughs> but it, it was great because I used to go to City as a kid. You know, we used to walk there from Levenjum where I lived most of my life as a kid. And um, if you got in early in the Kipak stand, there were two tunnels sort of led into the Kipaks and you could climb up on the tunnel wall and sit astride and watch the game. And to see my heroes playing like Colin Bell and Francis Lee, Joe Corrigan, and then I left school at 16 and the next minute I was walking around inside Main Road rubbing shoulders with them. And who were the characters in the dressing room then in those early days as you as a young 16-year-old? Who, who were the, the people who made a real influence on you when you first walked into that dressing room? Well, of course, Joe Corrigan being a goalkeeper at the time. They had a, a Scottish goalkeeper, ironically, who was there. He was very good, Keith McRae, who was signed from Motherwell, had ginger hair. Um, the, the players were great. The people like Dennis Stewart, Trevor Francis joined quite early on. Um, and the one that stands out was Brian Kidd, ironically, former United player. Um, Brian was absolutely brilliant and gave me lots of advice. So what was the sort of stuff that Brian would tell you? Then? Why, why did, did Brian Kidd stand out in particular? What was it about him? Um, one, he was great to talk to. As to be fair, most of them were. But what I remember about Brian was um, the first two weeks we arrived, you go up to uh, Withenshire Park to do a lot of cross-country running and special training, pre-season training, effectively. And at the end of the two weeks, they pull all the first-year scholars in after two weeks and all the senior players vote, which is the best newcomer into the club. And Brian Kidd told me to come over and um, just gave me a little certificate and said, we think you're the best uh, of this year's scholars. And from that day on, he referred to me as Golden Boy. And that was the tag he gave. And right up to today, Brian Kidd still calls me Golden Boy. That's lovely. That's a great story. I love that one. Fantastic. Your first game, I think, was what, March 1981? Is that right? Is that kind of your yeah. first game for City? First full, first team game? What, what, yeah. What, to, to just help us understand kind of the build-up to that. How did that come about then, Alex? Um, well, John Bond was the manager and uh, he said to me that on the Friday, you know, report tomorrow, there's a chance you might play. And that's all he said. And I knew Joe had, had a bit of a knock and he was struggling, but you never know for sure. But I think the really good thing about it was I wasn't sure until about two hours before the game and uh, John Bond read the team out and I was in. So the great thing about that was I didn't have time to be nervous. Um, you know, and I, I just had my own routine. You'd go out for a little, we had a little gym in, under the main stand at Main Road. So we'd have a little warm up in there, go out onto the field for 10, 20 minutes and then uh, come five to three, it was the big moment to go out and play. And who who was City playing that day? Do you remember who it was against? Yeah, sure. We played uh, West Bromwich Albion, um, and they their away strip was green and uh, yellow stripes, um, sort of horizontal stripes. So it meant I couldn't play my green goalkeeper's jersey. So uh, our away goalkeeper top at the time was a bright red top. So I made my debut at home uh, to to West Brom. Uh, the first modern-day black goalkeeper, and uh, I wore a bright red uh, goalkeeper's jersey. And what do you remember about the game, Alex? Um, I remember early on somebody had a header in front of the uh, the old um, north stand, and I backpedalled and tipped it over the bar. That was after about five minutes, and that really settled me down. 
And uh, we went on to win the game 2-1. Um, Brian Robson scored a late consolation for them. Um, and ironically, he ended up scoring in my last ever game for Man City at Main Road when he uh, was transferred across to uh, Manchester United. Am I right in thinking you got the Man of the Match award that day as well? Have I made that? I did. I did, yeah. And the, the ironic thing about it was my parents had never watched me play and I didn't want them to go to the, my first game because I was nervous enough. I was playing in front of about 40,000 people. The last thing I wanted to be worrying about on top of that was if my mum and dad were okay, did they get in all right? Uh, but unbeknown to me, they managed to... Um, work the way in. I think Joe Corrigan spotted them at the main entrance. They were asking, saying that we're Alex's mum and dad. Uh, he got them in. And I first bumped into them in the players' lounge after the game when I was about to receive my bottle of champagne for Man of the Match. That was the first time I, I saw them and knew they were at the game. Something we have to talk about, uh, and you've mentioned it already, is you were the first black goalkeeper. And, and this is the 1980s. Let's just remind ourselves. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Do you mind us talking us through a little bit about some of the, the abuse maybe that you took, what you had to deal with as a black goalkeeper in those days? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, there was a lot of hooliganism around uh, football in those days. So it wasn't just about racism, you know, uh, it was people's sexuality or, you know, whatever you can think of religion. So there was a lot, and most of the first division clubs in those days had a big six-foot fence around the front of the stand to physically stop people getting on the pitch. Um, but it was great playing at home, but I noticed it, obviously, when I went to away games, uh, you know, in the early days, they ended up playing at the likes of West Ham, Leeds, uh, even Everton. And they were difficult grounds because I did get a lot of racial abuse and there weren't the support mechanisms in place, such as kick it out, uh, show racism, red card, even the PFA uh, were in its infancy in regards to dealing with stuff like that. So you just had to get on with it. And there wasn't really a support mechanism inside the club or externally. But, but how did you do, if, just, to, just to press you on this a little bit, if I may, yeah. I, th I think our listeners would be interested to, to understand more about this. Here we have, you know, the, one of the first black players in, in England, yeah. and there you are, a goalkeeper, it's almost worse. You know, you're, you're there, you've got the cop or whoever it is behind yeah. you, not many yeah. feet behind you. Um, yeah. how, how did you cope with that, Alex? How difficult yeah. was that for you? For some reason, I've always been quite strong-willed. Um, and if I did hear any abuse, I... It, I always tried my hardest anyway, but it made me even more determined to play well. And what I found was uh, in the early sort of days playing away, I got a lot of applause at the end of the game from the away fans because they recognised, well, OK, he might be the first black goalkeeper or one of the first black goalkeepers, but he's bloody good. Uh, and they, you know, a lot of the grounds I played at, especially West Ham early doors, um, the players actually stopped and clapped me off the pitch. We did actually get battered. I think it was 5-0. But um, the, what stood out in that game was the first two minutes of the game, they had a right-back called Ray Stewart, who was a Scottish lad who had one of the hardest shots in football, never missed a penalty. And I saved his penalty the first two minutes into the game. So, you know, the West Ham fans were fantastic and clapped me off the field after that. And you talk about the fact that there are so many different things in place now that can support players with their mental health, with racism, all sorts of things that are in place. The, the number of black players who were, who were in English football at the time, did you ever talk to them about it? Was there ever opportunity to share your experiences with them while you were playing? Not really. We, we just took it as 
perhaps wrongly, as it's just a given that we were going to get abuse. Um, you know, and I think one or two of them tried to stand up to things. You know, I can't recollect any particular incidents, but, you know, do you make it worse by making it known that it's affecting you? You know, sometimes you're almost better off just ignore, well, trying to ignore it and just play your game and don't let them feel as though they're getting to you. So it was a very difficult line, really. Um, I think the one thing that has changed today is players' attitudes, especially players in your own team. Um, going back to when I played, and it's it's no secret, when certain things were said, my own players found it as amusing uh, as potentially the opposition players. Whereas today, I think that's massively changed. If something was said today, I think um, the players of your own team would uh, come come round and sort of, you know, say we've got to do something about this. But that wasn't the case uh, in the early eighties. And sadly, injury ended your career probably a bit earlier than you would have liked. Do you yeah. want to just talk us through that as well? Help us understand how that came about. Yeah, I had uh, a niggling back injury for some time. Uh, my last ever game was against, ironically, Manchester United uh, at Main Road. And I remember I could hardly run out to the goal because I had a prolapsed disc, uh, which was pressing on my nerve in my right leg. And I could hardly kick the ball or run around for that matter. But when you're a kid, you don't want to lose your place. You don't want to be out of the team. So you try and push through. Uh, I think a couple of weeks earlier, I played at Southampton. We'd got beat 3-0 again uh, in those days at the old Dell. You ran the full length of the pitch because the dugout was in one corner. And I really struggled just to run through the end. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't play anymore and I couldn't hardly walk. And uh, I had to uh, go and have an operation at uh, hospital. And I guess joining six, joining City at 16, um, you didn't have too many A-levels and you didn't probably yeah. didn't have too many degrees up your sleeve either and going off and, and, and do something. Football is probably all, all you knew, I guess, Alex. And and at that point, what were your thoughts about a future career when, when you're finishing football? You'd done a bit of coaching, I think, didn't you? Yeah, um, well, I just started, for some reason, I was always, always a bit of a forward thinker and um, I started to take my coaching badges, um, which is what I first fell into in retrospect. Um, and I ended up being the goal, goalkeeping coach at Manchester City uh, for about 10 or 12 years, uh, initially under Steve Fleet. And then uh, I think it was um, uh, Jim Casal who took over with Alex Gibson and Paul Power. And uh, I really enjoyed the coaching. It was only part-time, the work, um, but it was brilliant because I worked with two of the great goalkeeping coaches, Dave Felgate, ex-Bolton, Andy Rhodes, ex-Oldham. And certainly in my time as the goalkeeping coach, uh, I had Casper Schmeichel, uh, Wayne Hennessy and Kieran Westwood, Republic of Ireland. So, you know, we I had a great group of goalkeepers came through the system. And ironically, watching everything I did from the touchline when I was working with Casper was potentially the best ever Premier League goalkeeper, his father, Peter. And uh, Peter was brilliant. He always thanked me afterwards and said, uh, good session. He told gentleman he is. And what makes a great goalkeeper, just for those goalkeepers who are listening, and, and you've worked with the best there, clearly, and you weren't a bad keeper yourself. What, what is it that makes a great keeper, would you say? Um, having a lot of self-confidence, thick-skinned, um, learning from your mistakes. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of things. The game has actually evolved recently, the last 10, 12 years, with Pep and playing out from the back. But in our day, it was all about stopping the ball, going in the net and trying to catch the ball. But the game's 
totally changed now. And as well as because of the technical aspects of the game, also the footballs have changed. The design now to move dips worth so, so difficult for keepers. Now, we had it slightly in our day, but having said that, the pitches we played on were awful compared to um, the bowling greens that they, they play on today. How do you rate Edison then, would you say? Oh, he's brilliant. He's a great goalkeeper. Um, Otegi, the, the reserve goalkeeper, is a brilliant keeper as well. So, you know, we've got a couple of really good ones there at uh, Manchester City. Um, but Pep's brilliant at working, not just with goalkeepers, all the outfield players as well. Uh, and the quality of the players we've got today is unbelievable and who'd have thought certainly from the early 80s when I was playing the club and the quality of the players would no disrespect to the the lads we sort of played alongside uh, would be where they are today Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess? Aha in my dentist's office more than once actually Do I have to say? Yes you do in the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before we talk about City in the community, just one other role I want to talk about, which which we, we have something in common. My very good friend, Roger Reed, who I know you know and respect very well as well, um, I think invites you to be uh, chairman of the Junior Blues as well uh, for a period of time, your time at City as well. Do you want to just sort of talk us through what that meant for you as well and how much you enjoyed that role? Yeah, it was great. Um, obviously, early on in my career, around about 82, they approached me to be president of the Junior Blues, and it was the junior supporters uh, side of the football club, and it was brilliant. So once every month, we'd have an event at the old social club at the end of the main road um, stadium, and it was brilliant. You could get up close and personal to the young kids and the parents and the fans. Once a year, we'd have a Christmas panto where all the players would join in, and it was really great. It's and that's the one thing that's sort of di- really different today. It's difficult to get up close and personal uh, with the players because they're such superstars now, and you know they're such high uh, prop, you know, profile and uh, you know intellectual property. So that's a little bit of a shame, but I can understand it because you know you're paying a hundred million pounds for a player. Last thing you want him to do is be involved in a Christmas panto or breaking ankles or something like that. <laughs> I mean, and you may not know this, but but my first involvement with City and, and with Roger was uh, uh, I, I used to compare those meetings at the social club, but, but a bit before your time in kind of the mid seventies and so on. So I know exactly what you're referring to, and it was a fantastic initiative. And as you say, many many City fans would have been uh, made at those social club meetings. I suspect as well. Yeah, I still speak to a lot of people. Um, I recently did uh, an interview with a young lad who was doing a dissertation at a university. And um, he was asking me similar questions to you're asking me. So I said, 
do you remember me playing? And he went, just about. So, so what do you remember? He went, um, oh, I remember I came to the Christmas panto one year and you were the back end of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> so of all the things I've done to play, that's what the kid remembered. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure you were a brilliant back end. Um, well... <laughs> <laughs> something yeah. something let's let's get on to the last 33 years then alex because something that you are known for something that you've been honored for um yeah. by our monarch um is the amazing job you and, and and let's be honest lots and lots of people um it wasn't just you but i know you led the team just help us understand how this job of city in the community first came about for you um well just as i sort of announced my retirement um there was a lad called kevin glendon who initially started City in the community, but he quickly moved on to become the manager at Radcliffe Borough. Um, at the time, he was very uh, friendly with the comedian Bernard Manning, and Bernard Manning and his son owned Radcliffe Borough, so he went across there to manage. And then the late uh, and great Bernard Holford, the club secretary, was looking around to replace Kevin. This was about six, 12 months into the starting, and uh, he said the type of person we'd love would be Alex Williams, so I applied for the job, and Needless to say, uh, the rest is history. So that's how it came about. Um, there were six clubs initially, all from the northwest, because uh, Gordon Taylor, the ex-PFA uh, uh, chief exec, started with six clubs in the northwest, and it was to try and forge closer links with football clubs and their local communities. So we started off going out to schools, uh, doing free uh, football courses for kids, and it all started from there. There's now over. 120 football community schemes up and down the country. Um, when we started, turnover was around 10 grand a year with four staff. Now we've got over 120 staff and uh, turnover's 3.5 million. And just paint a picture for us of what that looked like then. In terms of today, we understand the the enormous machine and, and, and the impact that you have on so many people's lives. Yeah. Just take us back to that sort of first day you walked in, kind of, you talked, you say four employees, did you say at the time when you first started? Yeah. Absolutely. And we were based at the old main road uh, stadium. Towards the end of the stadium was the social club and there were two semi-detached houses right next to it. The one on the left was Stan Gibson's, the old groundsman. Downstairs on the right, we had a cashmaker office where they basically sold lottery tickets to try and keep the club afloat. And upstairs was our community office. So very humble beginnings, uh, but great times, you know. Um, we were limited on funds. Obviously, Peter Swales was the chairman, and we all know how careful he was with finance. That's probably the best way I can put it. Um, but we got through, and the difference we've made to people's lives around the whole of Great Manchester is unbelievable. I could sit here all day and talk about the different stories and the impacts we've had, and it's great to see some of the older generation who start. I mean, I'll give you an example, Nader Manua one of our former players, he first came on one of our soccer schools uh, when he was about eight or nine years of age, took a penalty against me and I saved it. And uh, I re he's now a trustee of the foundation. And he told me recently for 30 years, he got slept because I saved that penalty. So I let he took one of the last week and I let it in just so the poor lad could sleep. <laughs> I'm pleased. I'm pleased to hear that. Just, just help us understand some of the other stuff that you've done, um, the sort of impact you've had, the sort of people's lives you've changed. Because that's what this is about. This is, this is about seriously changing people's lives for the better in, in for, for for hundreds of thousands of people across the whole of Manchester. It's quite incredible. Just help us understand some of those yeah. stories, Alex, if you can share I mean, them with us. 
a couple of quick stories. There was a young lad called Jamie Trigaskis about 12 years ago, and he was on the books at City, and he got cancer in one leg and had to have uh, one of his legs amputated. He was on the verge of committing suicide, um, came to one of our disability football sessions, SEN sessions, enjoyed it. Uh, he's now currently one of the top amputee football players in the world. If you Google Jamie Trigaskis, you can see him playing. And we turned his life around from somebody who was possibly considering uh, doing something strange. Another lad was called Mike Swindles. Um, he served in the army. Uh, there was an incident with one of the vehicles and it rolled over, uh, crushed one of his legs. And again, he was suffering from depression, came to one of our SEM programs. Uh, and we ended up employing him as a member of staff, going out into schools and we turned his life around. There's a thousand and one other stories. Uh, a young lad uh, called Anthony, I can't recollect his second off the top of the head, he's now full-time security guard at the main entrance on a match day. We used to run after school sessions when the kids were at risk of going and causing uh, problems and danger. Uh, we got him involved with CITC. We got him a part-time job, and now he's a full-time security guard. Uh, he's recently got married, had a child, and he puts a lot of that down to his involvement with sitting in the community. There's just three very quick ones. We've got thousands and thousands of others, uh, ranging from very youngsters to um, senior citizens who we've helped as well. I mean, could you imagine walking in with your noisy neighbour, Stan Gibson, next door on that very first day in that little house by the social club at Main Road? Could you imagine... Could you begin to imagine that that what you've created is actually what's actually happened? It's, it's unimaginable, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, um, the great thing about it is the uh, directors and the leadership team at the club support everything we do in the community. Uh, and I must say they've given us fantastic support at the football club. Uh, so I must say a big shout out to them. Uh, for me personally, to say I've spent 33 years within the community and priced that 12 years of player, 45 years of my life, but... It's the best 45 years I've, I could ever have had. Um, I'm one of the very few people in the world who uh, wake, who woke up every single morning, bounced out of bed and looked forward to going to work. And I don't think there's many people on this earth who after 45 years can say that. Do you really appreciate, Alex, what you have done looking back on it? Do, do, do you really appreciate all those lives you've changed, the impact that you've had on all of those people, the, the respect that you have gained from not just Manchester City supporters, yeah. but football supporters all over the world for the impact you've had? Do you really appreciate and understand that? Um, I, I'm, I'm quite a humble person and I just look at it as a job. But a lot of people have given me feedback lately and thanked me for everything I've done. Um, I'm just privileged and honoured to have had the chance to, to do that. Um, I, I recollect it, it first probably hit home. Um, we used to have Bradley Wright Phillips and Sean Wright Phillips play for the club. And when they were there, Ian Wright used to come to, to, to the Etihad. And the first time I got a chance to see him, I said, I've got to go over and say hello to him. So I went over and said, uh, Mr. Wright, I just want to say hello. It's uh, Alex Williams. And he went, you don't have to tell me who you are. Every day when I was in high school, I used to run down the stairs at lunchtime and go in goals and say I was Alex Williams. And I think that first hit home to me. Someone like Ian Wright knew who I was. Because um, I have this terrible habit when I see people of notoriety. I always introduce myself presuming they haven't got a clue who I am. And they look at me strange, most people, and say, 
why are you you saying who you are? But it's just the way I am. But it's not just recognition, obviously, from football fans and from the football club itself, but uh, the Royal Family, a, a little letter sort of landed on your mat a few years ago offering you uh, an MBE. What, 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 what was that like? This lad from Moss Side who left school at 16 and became a footballer suddenly was being invited to become a member of the British Empire. How did, how did that feel, Alex? Uh, it was absolutely amazing. When I first picked the letter up off the floor, it came in a cream envelope with a red royal crest on it. And my first thought was, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> I thought it was in trouble. Uh, that, was, that was true story. I thought I was in trouble. I opened it up and it said, uh, the Queen has bestowed upon you and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I had about a six-month wait before I actually went to receive the MVP. MBA. I went down with my wife, Julie, uh, my mum, Vi, and um, Julie's late mother um, went down there. So it was great. It was a great day. Um, and I actually physically received it off at the time, His Royal Highness Prince Charles. But I do a lot of work in schools, or used to, probably not as much now, presentations to young people. And it was great in recent years, I could actually say, uh, I actually received my MBA from uh, King Charles III. Amazing. And, and is that kind of, where's that now then? Is it kind of framed on the wall or do you, do you get it out and wear it occasionally? It is currently somewhere in a box within the football club along uh, with my MBE and my England under 18 uh, cap. I also played in the 84 European Championship squad with England where we won the European Championship as well. Uh, but I didn't actually play a match then. Uh, Gary Bailey, the former Manchester United goalkeeper, played most of the games and we we're still big friends to this day so um yeah my england under 18 cap mba and i had a, a green goalkeeper's shirt when i played in tommy booth's testimonial they're in the club somewhere but we are ex- currently expand expanding the north stand and there'll be a new heritage center so i hope when the heritage center is built they will be out on display uh, in the heritage center you need to find the box first alex yeah, it's somewhere. I don't know where it is. But I did take it to a couple of schools uh, last year and the kids loved it. So probably it's a shame I've left it in a box. I should probably get them back out until the club need them again. And uh, the club have renamed a pitch after you as well. What did you know about that? Because we've all seen the video on uh, on the City website. Did you know that the pitch was going to be named after you? How, just talk us through that day and, and, and when you realised that you had that another honour bestowed upon you as well. Yeah, no, that was a total surprise. Uh, We met within the CFA uh, cafeteria area, City Football Academy training ground, and we walked round the outside uh, down to the pitch. And I thought it was strange why we were walking outside on the main road. Uh, We'd normally just cut inside the building and physically cut across the pitch. Uh, And obviously it's because they didn't want me to see the uh, monument which uh, had been put up with my name on it, uh, depicting the the new name of the pitch. So um, it was absolutely brilliant. And I think the fact the club allowed and gave permission for that uh, speaks volume of what they think of my work over uh, the 40-odd years. Absolutely. And and you've written a book, uh, which uh, is kind of partly yeah. what this is about. Um, tell us all about it. It started about two years ago in lockdown. I just started scribbling some notes. I physically produced the first draft. You saw me standing alone. Uh, gave a few copies out to people and Andy Buckley, uh, uh, ex-BBC man and city writer, um, saw the potential in it and the book is now fully published. 
Um, you know, anybody interested, if they just go on www.alexwilliamsbook.com, you can get all the details if you want to purchase it. Um, it's a great read. It's a read to say if we think racism and, uh, you know, hooliganism is bad today, read some of the things that happened to me. And it's it's a bit thought-provoking. And people will be quite shocked at some of the things I went through, but also some of the good things I achieved, which a lot of people don't know about. And what's next for you then, Alex? So uh, we all understand that you're not giving up completely. Yes, you're not going to be going in every day, but the great news is we're going to be seeing you around the Etihad because you're going to continue with one or two roles. Help us understand what you're still going to be doing for the club. Yeah, I uh, on match days, there's uh, about 12 former players, Joe Corrigan, Tommy Booth, Paul Lake, Stedgley and Brightwell, just to name a few, Peter Barnes. And we get allocated certain areas of the ground to go round and say hello to people. So that will carry on. There's pre-match events which the club puts on, which I support as well. Um, the great thing for me is I've come into contact with a lot of um, business people who uh, have a CSR remit and I can still try and link them up to City in the community. So it allows the companies to have an arm to go out and deliver in the community, which is done through us. And then hopefully there's some funding or um, other things which go towards uh, City in the community to help them uh, deliver the work. And looking back, finally, Alex, on, on an amazing career, um, what are you most proud of, do you think, looking back on that? Um, I get asked this quite a lot recently. Two things. One is representing the uh, one of the best football clubs in the world. And the other thing is changing uh, lives and helping to improve people's lives. You know, the, the biggest kick I get is if I go anywhere or even the CITC team and somebody says, oh, you've changed my daughter's life or my, my lad's life or my son was getting into trouble and he went on one of your programmes and he's now at college or university. And that's the biggest buzz I get when we've actually physically helped to change people's lives. Alex, we ban this around a lot, but you are a legend. You absolutely are. The work that you've done for our club is just fantastic and you know on behalf of everybody thank you so much and it's been a real pleasure of mine i've met you a few times over the years but having this opportunity to chat to you now and talk about your career um city in the community and your new book you saw me standing alone it's been a genuine pleasure thank you so much for your time thank you and i'd just like to quickly thank all the fans for their support over the years they've been magnificent and i've just been receiving so you know even my local tesco in uh heat mersey burnage I walk round and everyone's just coming up to me saying thank you. Sorry, I do appreciate it. Alex Williams, thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.